welcome to Adult Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter 12 of Northern Lights, The Lost Boy. This is a very weird situation because we're socially distancing and this is the first time we've ever recorded an episode remotely. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't like not seeing your little face across from the table from me. I'm on your computer screen. It's fine. (laughs) You are. I can see your face. At least that is is good. Um, But yeah, it's so weird because I've got like all the recording stuff up in front of me and like tabs open everywhere and I'm like, oh, I just... I hope this sounds okay to everyone. I hope we sound good. Yeah, I hope so too. It's a it's an interesting one and it was it's gonna be very odd to edit. Please bear with us on this one if it's potentially a bit weird sounding. If it sounds like I'm in a box and Faye's in a different kind of box, then that that's just how it's gonna be. Because <laughs> technically that is the case. <laughs> yeah, we are in separate boxes, you're not wrong. Yeah, we're just trying to do the right thing. Trying to socially distance as much as we'd love to see each other. Probably not the best idea right now when we're trying to be as careful as we possibly can so that we can all get through this pandemic together um yeah hopefully healthy and safe most of us i'm trying to limit my social excursions not not even social like just general excursions to once a week when i do my post office trip to post my orders so i can keep paying my rent and buy food i try and do them in one trip so that i'm just like out the house for like one day a week that's the plan Yeah, I've been trying to do a walk every day, but as far away from people as possible, which is actually quite fucking difficult because, like, everyone's congregating in the parks because, like, they've not closed them. And, like, part of me is, like, you should fucking close the parks because there were, like, people out yesterday, like, having picnics and shit, like, nothing had happened. And then the other part of me is, like, I don't want you to close the parks because I like to walk through the parks to get out of the house. And I know that's where kind of privileged in that sense because we're not... As the UK, we're not on total lockdown yet. I mean, it might change by the time this episode comes out, but we are lucky that we get to at least go out and walk around. But I'm trying to keep my distance from everyone. But meanwhile, there's like a million fucking people in the park. I'm like, what are you doing? This is not a fucking bank holiday, mate. This is a global pandemic. I kind of felt that way going to the post office today because there's so many people out. But at least in that area, it is the shops. Like people are out getting their groceries that they need. they do need. People do need to eat. So many people just queuing really close to each other. It was just, it made me feel really anxious just being out of the house. And there's that uh, classic thing of like, one of the symptoms is uh, being tight chested. I just felt tight chested the whole time I was out just because I was really anxious about being near other people. I would say it's silly, but it's not, this is the one time that having that anxiety about being in crowds is actually very, very legitimate. So, and it's not even that I'm concerned for myself. I just desperately don't want to pass it to anyone. I don't, I don't want that on my, on my conscience. (laughs) I've been feeling really nauseous for a little while. I don't know what it is. Obviously, that's not one of the symptoms, but I felt really sick last night and I felt a bit spaced out. And then my like chest was tightening. I was like, I think I've got shortness of breath. But then I was like, I think it's because, like you were saying, because I was anxious about feeling a bit ill, that then I was like, is this shortness of breath a symptom or is it just that I'm being really anxious and then like potentially going to have a panic attack? And I was like, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. Such weird times. Yeah, definitely. I kind of live a socially isolated life anyway, because just of the job that I do, like I work from home most of the time, and I tend to always be locked away in the house. It just feels weird now that it's compulsory or like semi-compulsory. But it is nice to have company because at least my partner's working from home, my housemate and her partner are having to work from home. And like, it's quite scary for me and my housemate because we both work in an industry that's closed down, but um, both of our partners fortunately can work from home, so... We're not in too much danger. It's just really weird times kind of being like, oh, you have to work from home now if you can. Fortunately, I do that anyway, but it just feels weird because also I know that all the events I usually work towards have been cancelled and (sighs) scary times, dude. I feel like I've been quite positive about this situation. And then on Saturday, I kept getting emails and emails about this has been cancelled or this has been postponed or this has been moved. Like all the things that we were looking forward to. And I know that we are very privileged in where we are that it's something that hasn't yet touch word affected us. Um, and even if it did, we wouldn't be in a position where we'd be seriously ill. But 
as someone that suffers with anxiety and depression, a lot of the times I need something to look forward to and I kind of put my hope and my positive thoughts into those, like if I'm feeling a bit shit, I'll try and think about all the things that I've got coming up and ooh, I've got like whatever, like a holiday or like whatever to look forward to, gigs and theatre shows and stuff. And it's tough knowing that they're all getting cancelled but I also know how privileged I am to be in the situation that I'm in and I'm grateful. So I've been trying to weigh those things up. Like when I've been feeling a bit down about things getting cancelled, I've been trying to think to myself, well, actually, I am a very privileged person right now compared to other people in the world. So, But it is tough. Like it's tough for everyone. And I think that it's going to be one of those things when we come out of it, I don't think I'm going to ever fucking appreciate a pub more in my entire life when oh my God. it's all over and done with. That first pint. It's going to be glorious. (sighs) Truly. (laughs) What is nice, though, is seeing so many people, so many little communities are kind of coming together and um, being really good at supporting each other from a distance, over the internet. Having to do socialisation, even just a few years ago, would have been really difficult compared to how it is now. Like, we're really lucky that we're able to Skype chat and stuff so that you can still see the people that mean a lot to you. It's just really nice to see people coming together. Like, we might have some kind of big group chat to watch Buffy together at some point. And, like, I've been seeing people running, like, pub quizzes as a group Skype chat. It's just really sweet to see. So there is hope, but I think it's an interesting sign of what the future could look like if everybody's just able to do all their social interaction digitally. I've been thinking recently, I'm not usually a very... Depending on how drunk I am, anyway. I'm not a very, like touchy-feely huggy person but I can't wait to hug everyone when this is done I know I was thinking about you Rich and I was like I'm gonna give you the biggest hug the next time I see you and it's weird isn't it yeah you don't think about it until yeah and we don't we're not we're not me and you we we don't really hug but I'm like a hug is fucking coming for you bitch when when this is done (laughs) Uh, yeah and oh yeah I just wish I had a pet yeah speaking of Hey Faye, hey. what would your demon have been this week? That is a good question and I did write it down but I've completely forgot so bear with me one second. Do you know yours? You can tell me <laughs> yours while I look for mine. I did the fastest Google of like what animals socially isolate oh. and it came up with a list that was like beetles, some in like some insects and beetles and toads. And oh. like toad, that's it, 100% yeah. this week definitely would have been a toad like a little gross little not even slimy because they're very dry toads mm-hmm. um like a gross little like witch's familiar kind of toad situation oh, i love toads like, they're very underappreciated yeah, like trevor harry potter drink mm. trevor situation is what i think because yes yeah. apparently so some animals do socially isolate for their own good which is very much what we're all doing right now and i think my demon would be a socially isolating animal in solidarity with me yeah, I think a little toad. And you could like chill out on my desk and like stay warm by hanging out near my cups of tea and just like be a proper little homebody. It would be cute. Yeah, that is cute. I do love a toad. Any kind of like frog, toad, lizard situation. I'm down. Yes. <laughs> I think mine would be... So, I've been working from home. I've had like... Even though I've been going out from a little daily walks, I've been trying to get my steps in and stuff. I've been having lots of like pent up energy I just find myself having loads of adrenaline for like no reason and I need to like move about I've been dancing which is fun I've been doing a lot of dancing in my kitchen but I was thinking mine would maybe be a hamster because I could like I'm going off the assumption that my demon could use that energy and kind of like help tie me out oh like burn it off for you yeah yeah I'm picturing like a little hamster in a little wheel And uh, I feel like that would be helpful right now. That would be great. (laughs) I'm quite surprised. Yeah, I'm quite surprised at myself though because I feel like working from home would have put me in like a state of lethargy, but I've actually had quite a lot of energy, which is unusual for me. But uh, it's good because I'd rather feel like that than feel like, I don't know, down in the dumps and a bit gross just because I've not been doing much, but... That's good. The cookies probably helped. I've I've been baking too, actually. You bake cookies. I saw that you bake cookies, and then I went and baked a lemon drizzle cake. Yay. So I was like, I want to bake. I bought I bought oats the other day so I could make flapjack. I'm gonna make myself a quarantine flapjack to keep me going. The reason why we did cookies is because we had loads of flour and sugar left over from pancake day when you guys came over. Uh-huh. 
So I was like, all I need is some chocolate and some peanut butter, and then we've got we've got some cookies going on. And they're really good, but we always make way too many uh, like in the mix that we make. And we're like, it's fine, we'll just give them to people. I'm like, no, we won't, because there's no one to give them to. <laughs> you have a duty, a duty to your country and to the world to eat all those cookies by yourself. <laughs> I- I'm sure we fucking will. I had like four yesterday, it's fine. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, the pent-up energy is probably from the sugar. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Last chapter, Lyra saw the city in the sky with her own eyes for the very first time. Kaiser, Seraphina Pekela's demon, revealed that there are millions of other worlds out there and that Lyra's world is just one of them. Lyra used the alethiometer to help Yorick find his armour and we met Lee fucking Scoresby. And he's hot. They all set out to Bolvanger on foot to find the missing children. This chapter, while stopping to rest, the alethiometer tells Lyra about a ghost in the next village. Lyra and Yorick head off to find the ghost and end up learning what the gobblers are doing to the missing children and it's absolutely horrifying. Uh... So, yeah, we start and they're on their way to Bolvanger. And they stop after a little while to eat. John Farr asks Lyra to ask the alethiometer a question. Lyra has memorised where most of the symbols are on the alethiometer, which is great. I'm re- I've got a really shit memory, so anything where anyone says that they've memorised a certain thing impresses me because I just can't do that shit. I kind of love this image of her reading the alethiometer by the light of the aurora. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like a really cool thing because like we know that the aurora is in some way like linked to like dust and ethereal stuff and then like she's reading the alethiometer which is also maybe linked to like ethereal stuff and like it's it's just a nice little image. I like it. <laughs> I feel like it would have been a good image for the front of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'll I'll put a note to the publishers on your behalf. <laughs> I'll just write I'll just write a little email and just say when you do some uh, some reprints, maybe have a think about that. Just, just do this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so John Four asks her to find out how Bolvanger is being defended because I think we learned in the last chapter. That I think was it Yorick that said that there's like some Tartars there, but they're not it very was experienced. Kaiser, the goose. Yeah, so they know that there's some Tartar soldiers there that aren't very experienced, but he wants to know a bit more about what's going on there. Lyra is like pretty well established now at like reading the alethiometer. Like she doesn't even have to think about it. So she says, without even having to think about it, she found her fingers moving the hands to the helmet, the griffin, and the crucible and felt her mind settling into the right meanings like a complicated diagram in three dimensions. And I wanted to ask, they mentioned the helmet, the griffin, and the crucible, and then don't give any explanation as to what they are in relation to the question. Do you think that Philip Pullman thought about what those meant, or do you think he just like grabbed three images out of the air and was just like, yeah, throw those in? Okay, so the helmet, obviously soldiers, people defending something. The crucible... Lyra mentioned earlier that she used the crucible to talk about like divining knowledge or something. So I guess that's the equivalent of like asking about schedules and planning and knowledge about that stuff, maybe. And then what was the other one? The griffin. Are they like, you usually put griffins on like shields and stuff, don't you? In like night's times. So maybe yeah. that's to do with defence and defending. Oh, check you out. Why don't you read the alethiometer? I mean, hello. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> give me one. I'd love, I'd love to try. But I love the idea that he's stopped putting in the descriptions to try and maybe encourage you to try and think what they could mean. It's so funny that you say that because I didn't even think. I was just like, do you think he's just fucking around? I was like, no, there's, a, there's, there's fucking meaning that. I didn't even, I didn't even connect to the helmet. I don't think I was in, in a great place when I was reading this chapter. Oh. I think he's written in such a way that the alethiometer reading is not super out of grasp. Like, they talk about how, oh, you need the books of reading to read it, but then the way Lyra explains it, it kind of implies that you could almost make it up as you go along. So as a kid, I was definitely like, um, I could totally read the alethiometer. <laughs> if someone gave me one, I would totally be able to read it. I'm as special as Lyra. Thank you very much. <laughs> I still That's think fair. that, so... <laughs> Well, why not? You should. You should think that. Especially in these these scary times. 
we all should be a bit more Lyra, so. Oh my god, I, if somebody gave me an alethiometer right now, that is 100%, you just wouldn't ever see me again. I'd just be like learning all the shit about the world and like hide in a corner for the rest of the year. Lyra literally had to do some social distancing when she was hiding away on the boat and that's how she learned the alethiometer. Yeah. We'd all be great at alethiometry by the end of this. <laughs> oh, we would. And also we'd probably know what, like when this was likely to end and all that kind of stuff. We'd, we'd know some more stuff than we do mm. now. Yeah. I wonder, it's interesting, isn't it, Kiss? If we end up, we'll probably end up with listeners that um, are listening to this episode like in the future when this is over. And I just want to say hi to you guys in the future because what is what's it like it, there? Because at the, like minute, outside? Yeah, <laughs> at the minute, it's, it's not great. And we are just hoping, hoping amongst hope that it's, not, it's nice in the future. Dude, this is only like the end of week one as well. Yeah, I know. Like in ugh, my, one of my best friends is um, one of the people who's unfortunate enough to be uh, in quite a vulnerable position. And she's been told to self-isolate, fully self-isolate for 12 weeks. That is an outrageous amount of time. Yeah, it's a long time. So yeah, just <clears throat> we're at the end of week one and we're whinging like, oh, it's just going to be the new normal by the end of the month, I think. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. Let's uh, get back into a nice world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, let's. Okay, so yeah, so she asks the alethiometer that question and then she says to John Farwell, it's just like Kaiser said, there's part of soldiers who don't expect an attack. Then, I know we mentioned it earlier, but then I kind of did think to myself I was as I was reading it, I was like, I wonder why John Fars asked her to ask the alethiometer when Kaiser has already kind of said that to them. I wonder whether he just wanted to, you know, do a little double check before they, like, stormed the gates. I think so. I think they don't necessarily, because Kaiser's already explained that the witches have their own prerogative, their own priority, so he's like, maybe he's unsure of exactly which side the witches are on considering they were so like kaiser was so unwilling to say they'd taken a side so he was like can i trust the information it's probably best to double check the alethiometer is telling her something else as well so it's saying that in the next valley there's a village being troubled by a ghost and far just does not care about that but then like why would you you just wouldn't would you like if you had like a big mission i mean personally i fucking love a ghost so i'd be like hell yeah i want to go to that village but if you're heading up an army for one like i suppose they are like there's not loads of them but they are essentially a bit of an army and somebody just said to you by the way there's a ghost in the next village you you just be like and also it's just really interesting that it's bonus content from the alethiometer like she's not asked that question at all it's just volunteering this information that it's like this is pertinent to to you and your mission which is very odd like it's a device that answers questions right why is it volunteering information that she's not asked for that's very true it's kind of going oh is there more is there more to this object than just that it answers questions yeah, we've not had that before, have we? Like, it's just been a question answerer, so a truthful question answerer so far, and now it's actually just offering up this information. Yeah, because Lyra's about to liken it to when she had the chameleon symbol that she didn't understand, mm-hmm. but that was at least an answer to a question because she was asking about Mrs. Coulter, I think, and the answer was Mrs. Coulter's sent these spy flies at you, or the 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 peeping bugs. No, that's Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. They're like beetle things. They don't they don't name them, do they? They don't name them in the books, but they name them as spy flies in the TV show. Yeah, so it, the answer was like, well, I'm not telling you what Mrs. Coulter's doing, but I'm telling you what's relevant to, to like what she's done that's relevant to you, which is like she sent these bugs after you. Whereas like this is, I'm asking you about how a fortress is defended. Why are you telling me about a ghost in the neighbouring town? It's very odd to have that added in. So yeah, he doesn't give a shit and he says that there are bound to be loads of spirits and stuff in the forests because it's a massive forest. And he asks how many Tartars and what are they armed with? And she asks the alethiometer and we learn that there are 60 men guarding Bolvanga uh, with rifles and larger guns like cannons, plus fire throwers. Uh, and also no women. Always have to call that out. Yeah. <laughs> but also that they've all got wolf demons which causes the Egyptians to be like, ooh, I think I've heard of them. So I think it's some... They talk about how the... Cybersk? Cybersk? 
Mm. Um, which I did a little Google. I think it's just a more Norwegian way of saying Siberian. Yeah, I did a little Google as well and got and got the same results. A lot of the re- results were about huskies. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like Siberian huskies. So it's like okay, there's kind of like a way of saying Siberian. Yeah, it's interesting though, isn't it, that they're all wolves? Because then that makes me think: Do certain races of people or certain cultures have the same demons, or is it a kind of thing where there might be a certain group of people who have the same demon, and then is there pressure for the young children growing up for their demons to settle as? A certain animal like a wolf is that a thing in this world because otherwise how would they all settle as the same demon? i wonder if um they're all because the impression we get is that they are like fierce fighters and they're known for it so i wonder if they're trained to fight from a very young age and part of the training process and the way that they're trained means that their demons settle as wolves or that it's like part of the initiation almost like i imagine if you were doing that training process and your demon didn't settle as a wolf they'd be like well you're not built for this leave Mm. or something i can see it being part of like the training regime of these this like fighting people yeah that's true yeah or maybe it's just like wolf club if you don't have a wolf get out (laughs) you're not coming in i'd like a wolf demon yeah i'd love a wolf demon right now just to hang out and be in the house yeah i want a dog this i know i was saying to liam this is the perfect time to get a dog because we're all in all the time. So like when they're a puppy and you need to be around them, that we are. But like, I can't, I'd lo- I want one so much, but I live in a one bedroom flat and it's, no, it's just not, unless we got a tiny dog, which we don't particularly want, it's not going to be a good place for a, for a dog to be. I'm just going to use this time to befriend the neighbourhood cats because mm. we can't really have a cat until I know that I can stably work from home on like the long term. I can definitely like partially steal the cats of the neighbours and make them love me more. So that that's my plan. <laughs> when the weather's nicer and I can go outside, I am going to be- befriend those neighbourhood cats. Yes, you absolutely. I'm also very jealous that you have just moved into a house that has a big garden. Yes. Ugh. So at least you can go in the garden. If we were stuck in the flat for this, I think I'd be really sad. I'm very glad I moved house. <laughs> Rich, I'm stuck in a flat. Yeah, but your flat's <laughs> nice and there's only two of you, so it's not too bad. That's true. It's about to get absolutely fucking boiling in my flat though, isn't it? So Ooh, joy. Listeners, I think I've said this before, but uh, I live in a flat that is basically 90% winter uh, when it gets boiling. Actually, it's not even when it gets boiling. When it gets slightly sunny, my flat is about a million degrees. It was really hot today and it was like 12 degrees outside. So that's going to be fun. We've got the opposite. I've got our bedroom is on the side that gets all the sun. So the bedroom gets really lovely and toasty and warm at about 2pm. And the workroom that I use to actually do my work and I'm in a majority of the day is on the cold side of the house that gets no sunlight, no like real direct sunlight and just gets really cold. So I just have to like go into the bedroom to like warm up, toast myself and then leave. At least you have a cold and a hot side. We just have hot. Hot and hot. <laughs> yeah. Or cold and cold because it like if it's winter, then it's freezing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. The Egyptians are freaking out over how fierce these wolf-toting guys are. And they ask Yorick about it because he's a warrior. He, he, you know, he's probably fought people like this before. And Yorick's like, eh. Also, there's a weird simile where it says, I think John Thor says that we'll have to fight like tigers. And I was wondering, are tigers known for fighting? Like, I know that they're like a fierce animal, but it wouldn't be the first thing that I jumped to if I had to think of something like a simile to think of something that fought i don't know if i'd go for tigers it's kind of like a the tiger well is it is it the tiger on the lion that's the king of the jungle it's lions right yeah i don't know tigers are pretty ferocious it just makes me think of is it charlie sheen was saying about like the tiger blood thing oh my gosh is that a thing yes it's just like it's a bit of a gross man thing to be like compare me to a tiger because they're fierce Ooh. yeah that was a. Uh... That was when that came out when I was at uni. They did that fucking remix of it, didn't they? Yeah. Um, God. Good times. There you go. That's, yeah, a real flashback to the past for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, basically they kind of start chatting to Lee Scoresby about them and Lyra sneaks off 
to talk to Yorick to see mm. if she can hitch a ride with him to the town. And he's basically like, I'm not going to take you without the permission of John Farr because technically mm-hmm. he's the guy that's in charge here. Before that, when Lyra's still talking to John Farr before they call on Lee, I think, she's getting impatient and she thinks that the ghost could be one of the missing children. Mm. And then John Farr says, well, even even if it is, like, what can we do about it? If it's a ghost, they can't do anything about it. Sorry, I just wanted to get that in just to pepper, pepper that in. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to just kind of dismiss it and then yeah. carry on talking about the wolfmen with their fire furs and it's like, okay. Yeah, and then that's when she sidles off to go and talk to Yorick. I enjoy that she's like, this village, Eric, how far is it? And he's like, well, it depends. Far for you or far for me? And she was like, for me. He's like, oh, too far. He's like, for me, not too far at all. (laughs) You can get there in in like three days, but I could get there like there and back three times in one day. (laughs) But like, oh my God, how fucking fast and powerful is he that he could get there and back three times in one day if Lyra wouldn't be able to get there in a day? That is like madness. He's speedy. He's speedy. I also love how sassy he is about it. He's like, yes, for you, too far. For me, easy peasy. (laughs) (laughs) He's so sassy. She tells him that she wants to go, like you said, and that John Farr won't let her. And she also then tells Yorick what this, uh, the Elysium, she calls it a symbol reader, but what the Elysiometer is again, even though she already told him what it was last chapter. Stop being patronising, (laughs) Lyra. I know, right? He's a fucking bear. He's not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And she says that unless she goes to the village, they might not know what the gobblers are really doing. And Yorick says nothing, but oh my God, he's sitting up like a human. Uh, I love it. One of my favourite things is dogs and cats that sit like people. So you know, Yorick's sitting like a person in his bare form with his little paws up. It's just, oh, it makes me so happy. Do you know, it used to really freak me out, uh... And any kind of animal doing anything human like I kind of I've gotten over it in my adulthood. But do you know that really famous painting of the dogs playing poker? Yeah. I hated it. It used to freak me the fuck out. I did not oh, like really? it at all. Yeah. <sighs> I don't mind so much now, but I was like, oh no, any kind of animal doing human things, I'm not into it. But when I read that Yorick was sitting up like a human, I did I did like that. So I think I'm I'm finally over my fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I enjoy that she's um she kind of explains it. And he doesn't say anything. He's sitting like people. And because she's not like outright asked him. She's just like, there's this thing. It's going on. I, I should go and find out, right? And she's wait, kind of waiting for him to be like, do you want me to take you? And he just doesn't. So Pan has to be like, do you think you could take us, please, sir? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and again, it's like Pan doing the right thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. Or doing the things that like Lyra won't do. Like last chapter when he was he was the one like dragging her to, to speak to Yorick. He says that he could take them to the village, but he's given his word to John Farr and must obey him. And again, I think that kind of shows us about the bears and how loyal they are if they're being paid by someone. Yeah. So then Lyra asks, what about if she got John Farr's permission? He he's says, sure, yeah, whatever. Sure. Uh, and then she just runs straight to John Farr to ask him. And uh, she gives a big speech, uh, like pleading her case, which is like classic Lyra. Yeah, she she's just like, Lord Far, if Yorick Burnison takes me over the ridge to the village, we can find out whatever it is and then catch the sledges up further on. He knows the route, and I wouldn't ask, except it's like what I did before Father Corum. You remember, with that chameleon, blah, 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 and then she just goes on and on and on for ages, and it's like, like she's done that before, and I really like it. She just kind of, when she was asking them to take her north, and they kept saying no, and she just went on and on and on and on and on. I was like great i love it just just do it until they say yes it's classic like running to mum to ask for something and you kind of know she's gonna say no so you start talking faster and faster and faster with all the reasons why it's such a great idea yeah until she says that you can do the thing it's very much classic that which i like i also enjoy that in this moment when they're kind of like umming and ahhing about whether to say yes or not Lee Scoresby comes and backs her up, Aww. which is great. And he's kind of like, oh, if Yorick's there, she'll be as safe as if she were with us. Like, the be- like he- you can trust him. He's he's great. He'll take care of her. And, like, you know, he can, like, run really fast. So, like, don't worry about them not catching up. Like, you know, if you've set him this task, it will get done. Don't worry. And I think that's really nice. Like, he's backing up how solid Yorick is, but it's definitely, like, backing Lyra up in a way that I feel like just nice it's like a good friend moment 
Yeah, sweet baby Lee. We love him. I put a sticker on this next bit because I think this is what you, one of the reasons why you meant why the fuck are people talking like this? Like John Farr says, but why should not some men go? Yeah. What? That's weird. And it doesn't really seem like John Farr because like we've heard him talking like what we have now perceived to be Egyptian accent. Yeah. But that just doesn't seem the same as, as what we've seen so far. It's just, yeah, it's an odd way of, it's an odd turn of phrase. And I wonder if, like, maybe, like, one of the first few drafts of the book had them speaking in a more, like, yoldy way. It feels yoldy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Or a bit yodery, who knows. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's just, it's a bit odd. But, like, it's one of those things where I've never really noticed it reading it before because I would probably just skim past it and read the words in the wrong order because my brain likes to flip things sometimes anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then Lyra points out that the men can't go because they'd have to walk. And Yorick is super fast and Lyra is light enough so he won't be slowed down. And then I was like, oh my fucking God, she's going to ride him. Yes. I enjoy that in her plan, she was always like, I'm just going to have to ride him there. Like, that's it's the only way. It's the only way. Just want to ride a bear. It's going to be amazing. She's like, look, right. These are the reasons why I want to go. And I know that I will get to ride a bear. So let's fucking do it. <laughs> Number one, I get to ride a bear. Number two, it might help with the mission. Number three, I get to ride a bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then John Fort asks if she's sure she needs to do this and that the alethiometer isn't tricking her. And I love that. I, I don't dislike John Fort, but like so far I haven't been like thrilled by him he's just kind of there i think i've had like so much love for father Coram that i've kind of forgotten about john far but i do like him in this chapter because when he comes around to letting lyra go to the village he treats her like an adult which i really like Mm -hmm. he is very much like okay let's talk about it do you absolutely need to go like why do you need to go why are you sure about the alethiometer and then later on there's a great bit where he tells Yorick to take orders from Lyra, which is great. It basically kind of happens now, because Lyra basically explains that she doesn't think that this the alethiometer could even lie to her. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Well, if it all comes out okay, well, no more than we did now. He turns to Yorick and he says, are you willing to do this? Yorick's like, yeah, I'll do it if you tell me to. And he's like, very well. You're to take her where she wishes to go and do as she bids. Lyra, I'm commanding you now. You understand? Uh, You're to go search for whatever it is. And when you found it, you turn right around and come back. And I like that, yeah, he does. He's just like, okay, that's fine. Your job is to do what Lyra says. Now, Lyra, you've got to do your bit. And the bear kind of like nods his head. He asks if there's any soldiers in the village. Um, and Lyra's like, no, no, you'll be fine. Which she might regret later. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I do, yeah, I like that exchange. You're right. It's nice that John Fogg doesn't just give all the responsibility to Yorick and does kind mm. of put it on Lyra. Yeah, they basically trust... He's trusting Lyra to be in charge of a fucking bear, which is yeah. just great. I love it. So yeah, props to John Farr for that. Can I read the description of Lyra? Climbing on to him. Tony Costa gave her a strip of dried seal meat to chew, and with Pantalaemon as a mouse inside her hood, Lyra clambered onto the great bear's back, gripping his fur with her mittens and his narrow muscular back between her knees. His fur was wondrously thick, and the sense of immense power she felt was overwhelming. As if she weighed nothing at all, he turned and loped away in a long, swinging run up towards the ridge and into the low trees. Uh, <sighs> also, are we assuming that uh, seal meat is like beef jerky? That's what I pictured when he said that he gave her some sealed meat to chew on. Oh, definitely. It's definitely mm. just beef jerky. Yeah. Seal jerky. <laughs> no, thank you. She's riding Yorick and it takes her a little bit of time to get used to the movement. I love that one of the sentences is just, she was riding a bear! Basically, how we all feel reading that sentence is how Lyra feels riding the bear. I was like, she is riding a bear, you go, Lyra. Also, very clearly, riding on his back and not his neck. Yeah. Because in yeah. all the depictions there have been so far, she always seems to be riding with her knees over his front shoulders instead of across his middle like a horse. But like, surely that's going to give him a bad neck. Yeah. It was apparent, wasn't it, in the TV show? Like, literally riding his neck. And it just looked a bit strange. Yeah. I, I wonder why they did that. I don't know why, but yeah, it just looked a bit weird. I wonder if it's just because he's so bloody big. They were like, if she was actually going to ride astride him, she'd be doing the splits. 
Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe they couldn't make the scale work or something. Or they just wanted to get both their faces in a shot, and so it's easier to do that if she's closer to his face. I don't know. But yeah, I definitely think she's not riding on his neck. She's riding on his back like how a normal person would ride a normal horse. But he is a bear. (laughs) There's a nice quote here about the aurora. She was riding a bear and the aurora was swaying above them in golden arcs and loops and all around was the bitter arctic cold and the immense silence of the north. Lovely. Lovely. Lovely little quote. This chapter, it's short and sweet, but it's crammed full of some really lovely imagery. Yeah, it is. Actually, another quote pretty much straight after this one that I put a sticker on, which is about Lyra feeling shy with Yorick. Lyra wanted to talk to the bear, and if he had been human, she would already have been on familiar terms with him, but he was so strange and wild and cold that she was shy, almost for the first time in her life. So as he loped along, his great legs swinging tirelessly, she sat with the movement and said nothing. Perhaps he preferred that anyway, she thought. She must seem a little prattling cub, only just past babyhood in the eyes of an armoured bear. I like it. I like the idea that Lyra is learning to interact with different types of people. Yeah. Because she's always just been able to talk at people in the past and like win them over by like basically talking them to death. With Yorick, I think she she can just sense that he's a bear of few words. Learning to exist with someone in silence, I think, is like a real skill that I do not have. Yeah. I'm a talker. I'm the same, I think. I, I, I've i tried hard to be comfortable with silence. I think it depends who I'm with as well. But yeah, generally, I have to fill gaps. And it's annoying. Do you know when you get annoyed with yourself? I'm like, oh, oh yes. God, why am I talking? I've literally had someone turn to me before and just been like, you don't really do well with silence, do you? Oh, that's so fucking rude. She also then says that she has seldom considered herself before. Um, which is because I think obviously she's thinking about how she must be seen as a as a cub to Yorick, and I think it's fair enough that she's seldom considered herself before, seeing as she's like a twelve year old girl. I don't think I'd really thought about myself in that way when I was a child, and like how maybe other people perceived me, which I think is what maybe she's getting, uh, maybe what Philip Pullman's getting at here. I don't think I had thought about that. that I young. think it's odd to phrase it as she's seldom considered herself because she's considered herself a lot so far and she's considered a lot of herself so far (laughs) yeah that's true i think it's just like she's seldom considered herself in the eyes of someone she deems as being more important or more impressive than she deems herself yeah that that, yeah that's very true (laughs) she can't just sit she has to actively ride the bear She's like, oh, this is more effort than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, right. I think I've never, um, I, have I ridden a horse before? I don't think I've ever ridden a horse, but I always remember I had like, friend Liam's little sister used to ride horses and stuff. And I remember her always saying that like, it's actually really hard work. You actually have to do things. I'm like, do you or do you just sit on a horse? I've ridden a horse. I can say you, if you do just sit, it just hurts your bum. Yeah. You have to like, like the horse moves underneath you and it just like, bashes your bum it's not fun um (laughs) so like you do have to kind of sit and move with the movement of of it to make it easier on both you and the horse i've never done like like my auntie has a horse and i've done like the odd little like trot around but i've never done like a i've never i'm not not a horse rider well back back to yorick so after traveling for an hour or so they stop and he tells her to look up and she sees like hundreds of tiny black shapes uh, flying towards the north and she asks if they're birds and no, they're witches, which is great. But a little bit scary. Yeah. Like hundreds and hundreds just flying and uh, Yorick mentioned that they ought to kind of report that back to the Egyptians just in case the witches are flying to the aid of their enemies or like flying to the station because we know some witches are on the side of the station but... It's a bit scary, the idea that so many are flying all in one direction. Like, there's there's some witch stuff going on that I hope we get to find out about. Yeah, and then Lyra kind of shares her age a little bit by saying, like, oh, well, like, John Farr wouldn't be frightened of them. And it's like, mm, well, probably would be. There's, like, hundreds and hundreds of witches up there. Um, and then she asks if Yorick is afraid, and he's like... Not yet, but when I am, I'll master my fear. And I was like, oh, I'll just master my fear, shall I? Like, is it, 
<laughs> that fucking easy is it oh I'll just fucking master it I'm not scared of it anymore I'm like fuck can you imagine doing that I'd fucking love to do that that's what I need to do when I watch scary movies <laughs> yeah bitch just master your fear it's not difficult uh, just fucking do it yeah it's not gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> um, he uh, yeah like you said he says that they should tell um, John Farr about the witches and then they move on slowly and then Lyra can't take her take her eyes off the witches because they're just like there's so many like covering the sky and then that's quite scary right just the sheer amount of witches in the sky that doesn't seem to be like ending anytime soon also from the fact that like lyra's never really met because she was so excited to like meet seraphina's demon and like you get the impression that witches are rare right yeah from like the fact that father quorum's the only egyptian that claims to have ever met a witch and like all this kind of stuff so it's like we've got all this information that witches are not that common and yet suddenly you're looking up and like so many witches are flying through the sky it's like is that literally all the witches there are are they all going somewhere is it like the big nature conference of the year for the for all their business nature (laughs) nature business (laughs) yeah though they'll they won't need to do those conference calls if they're going in person you know what i mean it's it's beneficial to the business meet in person get those new witch contacts in your book I'm not doing very well at social distancing. <laughs> at least two meters between brooms. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Oh my god! Yeah. So they stop at the village, and he then asks her what she wants to do, and she gets off of him and finds it hard to stand. Like she's stomping her little legs around because they're all cold from uh, from riding oh, on bless her. your rick. Yeah. Yeah. So he asks her what she wants to do, and she says that. There's a child or a ghost or something down in that village, he said, or maybe near it. I don't know for certain. I want to go and find him and bring him back to Lord Far and the others if I can. I thought he was a ghost, but the symbol reader might be telling me something I can't understand. Now she's kind of thinking, well, maybe he isn't a ghost, but then... I'm also boldly assuming that he's a he. Maybe the Elethiometer was able to imply gender in its vague vagueness. <laughs> Um, d- despite not being able to describe what the thing was, it somehow managed to describe the gender it's, of it. We don't know what it is, but it's gendered. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Alethea. Well, thanks, Lyra's assumptions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're kind of learning now that, or we're kind of pondering, if it's not a ghost, then what? Well, what is it? Because surely if it was just a child, then we would know it was just a child. So there's got to be something going on here that's a bit abnormal. Yeah. She says... She doesn't think he's dead, but it indicated something uncanny and unnatural, which was alarming. And then, (sighs) this bit. Okay, she's like, The alethiometer said all these scary things, but who was she? Lord Asriel's daughter? And who was under her command? A mighty bear? How could she possibly show any fear? Lyra, we've been through this. Stop hanging all your fucking worth on Lord Asriel, because he is a nasty man. I mean... Fair enough that you're like, I'm commanding a bear, because that's pretty fucking badass. But take out the bit about Lord Asriel, and I'll be happy. Also, like, she seldom considered herself, except for right now, when she's considering herself (laughs) the great and powerful daughter of Lord Asriel and commander of bears. (laughs) She considers herself all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I think really what that sentence should have said was, she'd never considered herself in maybe a negative way before. (laughs) Yeah, so she doesn't want to show any fear in front of Yorick, really. And they're headed to the village. And all the doggers start howling. All the doggers. They did say that Yorick upsets the dogs in the town. Yeah. So maybe dogs just don't like bears. Yeah. And they get to the houses and she wonders how astonished people will be to see a child riding a giant bear. <laughs> she seldom considers herself. But when she <laughs> considers that she looks badass riding a giant bear, she feels good. Yeah. But can you imagine being in that little village where probably not much happens because it's very small and it's in the middle of a giant forest and then you just look out your fucking window and there's a little kid on a massive bear. I know, right? Also, considering your ha- your town has already been like haunted by some kind of unusual presence yeah, and everyone's probably on edge anyway and then you look out the window and there's a kid on a bear and you're like, ugh, what next? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a door opens and someone with a wolverine demon comes out with a rifle and... Lyra steps between that man and Yorick. I'm like, God, she's really fucking brave or stupid stepping between the bear because obviously she's 
she feels bad that she told Yorick not to bring his armour. But also, I don't think one man with a rifle would do that much damage to Yorick, armour or not. But then she still steps in between them. And it's like, you are brave, but also a bit fucking stupid, because I think Yorick can defend himself against one man with a rifle. It's, again, it's that kind of inflated sense of self, I think, for mm-hmm. her. So she's kind of gone like, I understand that she feels bad that she said not to take his armour and then there's someone with a gun. But, like, the idea that she's going to be the thing that stops this happening is... He's got, like, he's probably got this, Lyra. Don't worry. Yeah, he's got it. He's got it. He's Don't a bad worry, child. <laughs> the guy speaks in a language that Lyra doesn't understand and Yorick knows the language and replies. Uh, and apparently the man thinks that they're devils. Sure. <laughs> Because the devil takes the form of a of a white bear frequently. Yeah, I mean, and a child. there was that, that bit earlier where there was rumours going around that back in Oxford, the missing child was like actually one demon disguised as two entities of like a child and a, and a demon or something. So I think oh, yeah. a lot of people have a lot of beliefs about like demons and stuff and like devils rather than like demons like without the AE. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Demon demons. Yeah. Uh, Lyra speaks to Yorick and says that they're looking for a strange child. The man points to where the child is and asks if they've come to take him away, or it, sorry, take it away, because they're scared of it. They've tried to drive it away, but it hasn't worked. And it's just a bit... I know Lyra tells him off a minute in a minute for being a bit mean, but it's just a bit mean, isn't it? Like, yeah. Like, it's a child... And although it might be some kind of abnormal child, it's still a child. Yeah. I guess if they just... I think at this point they know it's not a spirit or a ghost, though, because he says there's... At some point someone says there's been others. So if they've dealt with it... It's just a bit cruel, isn't it? Mm. And maybe it's one of those things as well that if... I'm not defending them, because I think what... Like them being... Like trying to drive a child out of their town who clearly is in need is horrendous, but... If they think that Lyra and Yorick are devils, then it sounds like they're quite superstitious. So maybe it's something to do with that. Yeah, it sounds like quite um, a small town superstitious attitude kind of thing that's being implied across this, of like everyone hiding in their homes and yeah. Lyra says that they'll take the child and she asks where it is and he tells her and then runs back into his house. We learn that the child is in the fish house, so they head down to it. And then Lyra's really nervous. And then she has this little minute where, like, she's going to knock. And then she's like, why would I knock? And then she's going to call out. And then she feels stupid. Like, why would she call out? And she doesn't really know what to say. And it's, like, really dark. And then she doesn't want to show any fear in front of Yorick. I feel her in this moment. Yeah. Just, like, when you're anxious and you're thinking through all the different ways you can approach something in your head. It's like, do I knock? Don't I knock? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I get it's quite a good chapter, this chapter, for, like, feeling for Lyra and Pan and feeling Mm. a lot of empathy for them because they're going through they're doing some really scary shit and like there's some really lovely bits where you actually get to feel like you connect with them yeah and like empathize with them because I I definitely have felt that way of being like oh do I knock do I say I don't know (laughs) yeah but then definitely yeah and then this next bit where she pulls open the door and like Pan is like terrified and I think he's an ermine at this bit and he's running around on the floor like really panicky and we've not seen Pan like that before and it was, it's quite weird to think about him in that situation just like literally running around on the floor out of panic yeah it's a lovely way of kind of visually describing that feeling you get when you're like for example if you're going into an interview or you're going to like do something you've never done before and you've kind of breathing deeply and trying to be very very calm on the surface but in the pit of your stomach you can feel it you can feel that nervous poo come in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. You can feel that, like, pant, like, um, what's the description? Is like a duck all calm on the surface and paddling like hell underneath. Like, yeah. that kind of feeling. And But when you've got a demon, like, that just comes out literally of, like, Lyra's mm. trying to stay calm and Pan is freaking out. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, you mentioned nervous pooing and Turks relate. I'm such a nervous pooer. <laughs> I literally only mentioned it because back in episode one, <laughs> you definitely mentioned it. <laughs> I, uh, It's true. It's true. I am there. No shame. Lyra's like, for God's sake, Pan, be a bat and go look in there. Like, I can't mm-hmm. see. And he is so freaked out. He can't even speak. Yeah. And the only time she's ever seen him this freaked out before is when 
he when they did the coin swap trick at Jordan College. Yeah. You kind of get the impression that because Pan is a bit more magical than Lyra is, like he's the magical part of her, he's maybe picking up on something that she's missing from being too human. In the same way that he picked up on like the spooky mojo with the um with the coin swapping. Yeah. And like the ghosts would come for them when that happened. Like and then he claims that he can see ghosts and she can't way back when they were talking about the mm-hmm. spy flies and stuff. And, um, and the alethiometer, you get the impression maybe he's picking up on something way more creepy than perhaps she's yeah. even aware of. I think that maybe he even knows what's about to happen. Um, and yeah. he's just freaking out so bad that he can't he can't tell her. And especially because what happens is related to a demon as well. Maybe yeah. the demons or a demon in this situation can sense that. Lyra shouts for the child and doesn't get an answer. And Pan leaps into her arms and he's like pushing her and telling her to turn back um, and go away. Which is interesting because like, I think this bit is obviously horrendous anyway, but I think especially the bit where it said that he was pushing her because you can like kind of sense the desperation in him. I assume mm-hmm. he's still in ermine form at this bit. And like, just he imagine says he's, he's like... turned into a cat form. Okay. So, yeah. so he's like, well, he's still like a small-ish animal and he's like pushing her. And obviously that's not really going to do much. So you can see how desperate he is that he's trying to push her back, knowing that he probably won't be able to move her, but he's so desperate that he's trying to do it anyway. Mm. So yeah, then an old guy comes out from the village, an old man with a broad lined face, his eyes nearly lost in a thousand wrinkles, whose demon was an Arctic fox. I like that description of him. So yeah, this old guy comes out with a lantern and um, kind of talks to Yorick. And Yorick tells her, he says that it's not the only child of that kind. He's seen others in the forest. Sometimes they die quickly. Sometimes they don't die. This one is tough, he thinks, but it would be better for him if he died. So we now know that it's not a ghost. It's something that can die. Yeah. Lyra asks if she can borrow the lantern, which is totally why he came out with the lantern. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, oh, tell him thanks, (laughs) which is cute. And she has this horrible gut-wrenching moment 100% my head does it every time every time something bad happens or you get like specifically like if you get a a text from someone that's like are you at home can I call and your stomach drops and you're like what's happened who's in danger what's happened you start thinking the worst about everything so in this situation I was just gone oh my god the worst thing that could possibly happen to me right now is if I find out that this is Roger yeah I feel for her for her head going to that dark place like, seconds before she has to deal with the horrible thing. And also, do you know what's really, not bad, but good in a way about this chapter, is that we actually don't know, we don't know if this child is Roger or not, because it doesn't say. Yeah. It just says little boy, and that could go either way. Oh, God. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, well indeed. Yeah, she's thinking about whether it's Roger, and she steps into the shed and then she saw what the ablation board was doing and what was the nature of the sacrifice the children were having to make. The little boy was huddled against the wood drying rack where hung row upon row of gutted fish, all stiff as boards. He was clutching a piece of fish to him as Lyra was clutching Pantaleomon with both hands hard against her heart. But that was all he had, a piece of dried fish, because he had no demon at all. The gobblers had cut it away. That was indecision, and this was a severed child. And that is where the chapter ends. Oh my god. Well, that's the scariest damn thing you've ever read in your life, right? Yeah, and now we know what happens to the kids. And it's been, what are we, this is the 12th chapter, it's been basically 12 chapters teasing, teasing this. Yeah, this book is only 23 chapters long. So we're over halfway through the book, and we've only just found out what the hell the baddies are even doing. Yeah, I remember when I read this for the first time and I hadn't guessed what they were doing. I'd be interested, because I know we've got a fair few listeners that are reading for the first time, and I'd like to know if all you folks guessed what was going on here and let us know, like, tweet us or whatever at hdmpod or email us, her.materialspod at gmail.com. Because, yeah, I didn't... I'm usually quite good at picking up on things in books and I didn't... The first time I read it, I did not pick up on that at all. I genuinely can't remember if I picked up on it or not, but I know that um, on rereads, the sense of dread doesn't disappear. Yeah. And like it kind of reinforces whenever they're talking about how close you are to your demon and how much a demon means to you. It just makes the impact of that moment more and more with every reread because they yeah. talk like you get so invested in having a demon and in, in that relationship 
that yeah the idea that someone can cut someone's demon away is horrible and like we've heard heard so many times about how shocked and horrified people are seeing like the witch without her demon and how like it made Father Coram always feel sick to his stomach when he first saw it because he just didn't know what was going on. It's like saying someone didn't have a head. Yeah. And um, then you're kind of hearing about this actually happening and seeing someone without their demon and it's not because they're a witch, it's because it's someone's taken it and that's, it's that like sounds like the most horrific thing in the world. Yeah. And Philip Pullman does a really, really good job of building up that importance of demons that you were just talking about. It's like 12 chapters of just kind of shoving it down your throat in a sense of like these this is how important demons are and you will know it and then we'll just pull the rug out from under you and tell you the most horrendous thing that could probably happen in these books and the fact and i know that you hate this that he's hugging a little dried fish it literally breaks my heart so much it's yeah it's heartbreaking it's it's just so yeah it's so scary and there's so much even just in this short chapter it's one of the shortest chapters we've had Mm -hmm. and i'm really glad that it finishes where it does because it does just leave you like if like me you try to like if you're like reading before bed and you're like i'll finish this chapter and then i'll go to sleep this is one of those where you can't you can't just put that down and be like oh bedtime now like you are not gonna be able to sleep you're gonna have to carry on and read the whole of the next chapter to find out what happens it's devastating yeah it's a tough it's a tough chapter also a tough chapter for 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 a tough time right now it's got a bit of a a sad ending but it does but it's 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 so good though they say it's a bad ending but it's so cool like storytelling wise yeah it's amazing and it's so impactful and it's definitely reading this as a kid it it probably shook me and i definitely remember it being really scary to read as a kid because you know they tell you it's like a ghost and you're like oh ghosts are scary and they you know they it does a really good job of being kind of scary for a like younger reader to read i think yeah and i think because of the build-up as well because you have like quite like maybe like a page or like a couple of paragraphs where lyra is really scared and she's like working herself up to actually going into the shed i think it does a good job of like building that tension and then instead of being something scary it's just something devastating instead and that really hits hard yeah but I think Ugh. as a chapter, as a whole, yeah, I think it's like a short, like you said, short chapter, pretty devastating ending to the chapter. And really the only purpose of this chapter is to get us to that point where we learn what happens to the kids because nothing else of note happens in this chapter at all. Like that's the only reason. When I was like... I mean, Laura gets to ride a bear. Well, yeah. But like in terms of like <laughs> how the story progresses, because when I was thinking of what to say in the summary at the beginning of the episode, I was like, well, actually, we only need a really short one because that's the only thing really of note that matters to the story that we find out here. Yeah. It's such like an earth shattering revelation. Yeah. That like, it's kind of all it needs. And yeah. It is, yeah, it's such a petite little chapter. Not a lot happens. Like there's... I get it's all this like wonder and lovely beautiful things that are happening like the girl riding the bear with the aurora as a backdrop and like oh spectacular and thousands of witches in the sky beautiful and then this horrible pathetic devastating gut-wrenching thing at the end of it yeah that's just like it really builds up the beauty of the world to like kind of crack it for you at the end yeah and, like yeah oh Okay, so do you have an award to give out, Rich? My award this week is going to the old man with his many, many wrinkles who had the courage to take the lantern out to the scary girl and her bear. Yeah. Because um, out of that whole goddamn town, aside from the guy at the beginning that was trying to like vaguely threaten them a bit, um, he was the only one that kind of had the courage to go out and lend a hand and kind of try to help. Yeah, that's a good one. Mine will go to John Farr, I think, this week for being secondary dad and for trusting Lyra and for putting her in charge of Yorick. Great move. And I love Mm -hmm. that he was treating her like an adult. I love that. Go, John Farr. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hair Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. 
If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hgmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye and if you want to read some of my blog posts, although I haven't written anything for a little while, I'm on medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art, and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and over on my online shop, rachmakes.co.uk. A huge thank you to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and for teaching me how to do the scary tech stuff. We'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. Stay home, stay safe. Stay safe. Bye. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, guys. Bye, 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 bye.